Content warning. This episode of Enemies of the State includes discussion of depression, anxiety, self-harm, and other mental health issues. You're listening to Enemies of the State. I'm Alex Hoffman, the publisher of Soulrad. I'm Jules Spakes, freelance critic. I'm Rob Cloud, contributing editor of Soulrad. I'm Daniel Oaken, editor-in-chief of Soulrad. Enemies of the State is a monthly book club podcast featuring a rotating cast of comics critics. After a long hiatus, we're back, and this month we're talking about Nagata Kabi's My Solo Exchange Diary, volumes number one and two, published in 2018 and 2019 by Seven Seas Manga. Nagata Kabi is the author of a series of autobiographical manga that started with the very successful release of My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. A harrowing personal journey to self-acceptance and self-love, Nagata Kabi attempts to show readers that happiness isn't a place you can get to, rather it's a journey you're always on. I wanted to start by talking about uh, this this whole series generally. Um, Mike's, my lesbian experience with loneliness is this kind of like heartwarming uh understanding or a a woman coming to terms with her sexuality right like this this idea of being too anxious to get into a relationship and what does that look like and how do i you know how do i come to terms with the fact that my maybe my family's not going to love that i'm queer um and there's a there's a lot you know that really resonated with people i think that was released in 2017 or 2016 there's a lot of resonance when that was released um my Solo Exchange Diary, which technically they call the sequel to My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness, is, I'll just be very frank, much, much darker. Much, much more, um, it's just rough. Uh, there's there's no other way to put it. So I wanted to start there. Um, who, uh, uh, has everybody read that initial book, or is it just me and Jules that's read um, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness? I did not read it, but I read a lot about it. Okay. Yes. Same here. Yeah. Jules, thinking about the difference between these, these, like the first volume of this series, I guess, is my lesbian experience with loneliness. Um, my general thought is, wow, this got dark really quickly. <laughs> is that, um, is that something that you kind of, or did you see that maybe maybe it just I wasn't reading it very closely with the first book, but is that something you also saw with the, these two volumes? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I I mean I feel like for the first two volumes, like both my lesbian experience with Lonius and and my solo exchange diary part one, um, both of them ended on sort of an upswing. Like mm-hmm. my lesbian experience with loneliness ends with her, you know receiving a lot of positive feedback about the, I, I, I believe the strips that she was creating um, that became this book uh, that she, I, I think if I'm reading it correctly, she released them online before the book was published and, and was, you know, constantly getting positive feedback about. And then uh, the um, solo exchange diary part one ends with her um, making at least kind of a superficial connection with, with uh, another woman. Um, she, she's not totally into it, and she, you know, expresses some doubts, but she's, you know, made this headway. And it's just like every single time she makes these strides, and then she introduces the next book, and she's like, hey, again, it's me. Things are bad. And it, it's, 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 it's uh, you know, relatable. 
but yeah, yeah, discouraging. I mean, it, it is, you know, it, there is a there's an ebb and flow to to the series, and you're right. Like, I think um, my lesbian experience with loneliness and my and my solo exchange diary number one, you absolutely your reading of those is spot on with mine. Is that there's this like upswing where she's like, everything's gonna be better, and I and life is okay, and 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 future. Uh, Kabi, be good to yourself, and I love you. And um, and then you start the next book, and you're like, oh my god, uh, what happened? What happened? Like, and- you can you can see her like creating the structure of the books and like saying, okay, ha- what what is the trajectory I want to express here? Like mm. for each for each individual book, and and watching that trajectory rise and then descends upon the start of the next book like makes you realize how um i I don't know it kind of it kind of brings forward the um what's the word i'm looking for commercial maybe not commercial um well that that what i would say is that this book um so what i would say is that uh kabi's work in japan is kind of unique in the sense that there's not a lot of autobiographical manga that's published in Japan. Um, and to to a certain degree, I believe that the uh, kind of like the um, area in which this book, these books are published in is what we would call story man- manga, sorry, story manga. And um, a, another uh, well-known or at least somewhat, somewhat well-known um book in the United States that was translated for the United States audience and for the English speaking audience was Roku Denishiko's um What is obscenity? Yeah, what is obscenity? Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. the story of a good for nothing artist and her pussy. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't uh, I, I didn't who, think I was misremembering that. that. Honestly. <laughs> so so this so Roku Denishiko and um and and Nagata Kabi both work in this kind of genre of story manga, which is basically like real life or kind of like, you know, more autobiographical, but it can also be journalistic. And you can see that with what is obscenity where um, Roku Denishiko is talking about her um, perspective as a, as a woman who um, 3d prints her genitalia um, and how that's a kind of like a, you know, a, a, um, an anti-establishment position in, in Japan and, and, um, and to a certain degree, uh, Nagata Kabi coming out and saying that I have these mental health issues and I'm a lesbian. That's also very anti-establishment because, uh, in Japan, um, I would say while, while America and Japan share a lot of similarities, I would also say that Japan generally is more socially conservative. At well, least absolutely. In, terms, yeah. in Japan, it, it's um, even to this day, pretty taboo to receive medication for mental illness. It's pretty right. taboo to receive therapy. I, it, it's definitely in a different position. Um, it's, also, I, it's an overwhelmingly misogynistic society still. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, over the summer, I was also reading um, The Man Without Talent by uh, Yoshiharu Tsuge Mm -hmm. and also reading uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Holmberg's excellent intro and um, assessment of it. And he he was, he specifically uh, educated me about um, this genre called she 
Shosetsu, which I'm probably mangling terribly. But that it, sounds right. <laughs> it's the Aino, which is referring to, it, to quote him, referring to a genre of puritively autobiographical fiction popular in Japan since the early 20th century that typically dwells on the writer protagonist's struggles with poverty and artistic creation and their less than admirable interactions with the opposite sex. In this case, not the opposite sex, but, you know, a partner. Uh, a closely cropped self-portrait. Um, narcissistic, self-lacerating, nostalgic, and bitter. I was really struck by this because we started talking about this book while I was reading this. Um, it's... Uh, the writers themselves often played at the, the expectations um, of an audience that is primed to receive um, these, so to speak, self-lacerating uh, accounts. And it leads historians to speak of a myth of sincerity. Like, this was so close to what we were reading at the time. I, like, I, I wrote it down with a double underline. Um, yeah, that's that really cleanly tracks with what Kabi is doing in this book right like right. there's this um this series you know even i i used the word commercial earlier because i feel like the the pre-planned like narrative arc of these works is that we start on a high note we we learn some things about ourselves we go through a real deep darkness and then at the end of the book we kind of come up out of that into kind of a new stasis or a new um, steady state um, and to a certain degree isn't that what the author expects or maybe not the author expects but the audience expects the audience, if, right. if the audience if an audience is not used to talking about therapy medication self um, institutionalization and they want to, you know, what is, what's the end of that look like? Um, there, but there they, is no end, right? Right, right. Well, but if you have to sell a book and there is the end of a book, right, then the end has to kind of be positive because it puts, it ties a nice bow on the story, right? It kind of like prime, you know, that's what the reader is expecting. Which makes the serialization of this series really interesting because you can see her like creating this, um, satisfying narrative trajectory in each book but then you know starting the next book and having to acknowledge no nothing did get better you know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm back where I was if not worse you yeah. know so that that faux hopeful um lifts at the end of each book which which, which seemed to be something she I, I read it as uh her responding to expectations you know, like uh, her, her trying to address, you know, people wanting to see this like finished book and wanting to see like sort of a very traceable um, journey from, you know, the bottom to the, to, if not the top, then, you know, something with a, with a visible trajectory to the top. But, but then every time she started something new, she had to start from where she was and it, I think that makes the series so interesting um, because it, it, it's a lot more honest um, by necessity than I think she, you know, or, or not, not her necessarily, but the genre she's writing for, I, I think it's more honest than it intended her to be. Well, There's a lot in this, in this, the idea of this solo exchange diary where she's addressing herself in the future as well. So somehow that ties into this whole piece as well. 
So I have a few thoughts on all this. First, um, the unbelievably tragic uh, conception of the story is that um, this is what's this is what's called an exchange diary, where you're supposed to exchange it with someone else, and they send you your diary. But in this case, she has no one to share it with. She's literally sharing it with herself and this other copy, you know, theoretically a future one. So that's like a, a, a really sad note to begin on. Mm -hmm. The second thing to note is um, in these kinds of books and in narratives in general, it is important to remember the narrative is not the same thing as real life. Um, real events happen to Kabi, many of which are depicted in these books, many of which aren't. But the narrative is a completely separate thing and a necessary thing that she was trying to tell. And this is important, as you point out, because narratives have an expected series of constructs that we go with them. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. And the end has to have some kind of personal resolution. Um, but uh, life doesn't actually make narrative sense. Um, people do things, learn lessons, and then repeat their mistakes for no good reason. Um, trauma is left unresolved and mutates into um, addiction and mental illness. Um, that can be, through hard work, uh, alleviated and changed, but can also have easy fallbacks. Um, I'm reminded a little bit of um, Julia Wirtz did a book called Drinking at the Movies, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which partly addresses the fact that during the course of this book, she was becoming an alcoholic, but she never really addressed it head on and kind of had like, uh, to be frank, a half-assed resolution at the end, which she later admitted was a complete fabrication that she did for reasons of publication, because you have to have some kind of ending. And it's interesting to see Kabi take on this thing where at the end of the first volume, it's like, you know, maybe I will find love. And at the end of the second volume, it's like, well, maybe I will find love outside my family. Um, and I think about Suge and I think about his, uh, his take on this, and what's important is you say, this is all serialized. It's not just, not just books, it's individual chapters that are being published. Um, you know, it's a very Dickens kind of thing. So each chapter has to have its own separate um, sense of completion, be it positive or negative, even if it's part of a larger storyline. And so with Suge, he's very careful to alter um, the setting and the tone from chapter to chapter, even if it's all downbeat, even if it's all about like, you know, I'm never going to go back to being an artist again. Um, it's still, he's doing something different. You know, he's, he's not selling rocks this time. He's doing stuff with cameras or he's talking to guy, some guy about like the history of pets in Japan. But I thought it was the finale that was most interesting and that kind of ties it in the in the um, tradition of existential personal narratives is that uh, in the last chapter of Suge's book, um, it's 
a lot more metaphorical and poetic than any of the other chapters. In fact, he's dealing very directly with even poetry and like the story of someone else. Um, and so it's a way of like sidestepping this kind of narrative finality with instead a poetic take on it that hints at various things. And that's exactly the same strategy that Jean-Paul Sartre used in, in his novel Nausea, which is just basically like chapter after chapter of like ruthlessly tearing down all belief systems and in the last chapter hinting that music and art have maybe something to do with giving meaning, but it, he doesn't he doesn't spell it out. And uh, with Suge, he finished that book. It was done. And that chapter was the last statement. And Kabi is not done. And that's the thing I you really sense in these books is that you got the idea that she wants to be done, but she can't quite get there yet. Um, is, it, is it because she's not where she wants to be? I think that's part of it. Um, I think, uh, I think with Suge, it was just like he had said everything he wanted to say, and it was late in his career. And Kabi is the opposite. She was someone who had lived her life not knowing what she wanted to do and feeling like a failure until she finally stumbled into this kind of manga um, and finding like very unexpected success with it and finding yourself a huge success of bidding of her career and not being able to deal with that, especially since because she was clearly um, she was clearly telling a narrative that a lot of people related to in her own country, outside of her own country, this achieved international success. Um, and she wasn't ready to be the recipient of that kind of, um, I wouldn't say it's a burden, but certainly a responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, when she's like, man, I don't have my shit figured out at all. I can't help you. And I feel terrible that I can't help you. Hmm. And she, and it's clear that she's like clearly going to bat again and again and again. And the harder she tries, the deeper she sinks. I think um, there's actually a, there's a, there's kind of like an addressing of that, right? Like, because she, she's, you know, she's, she recognizes, I think maybe it's in the second volume. She recognizes that the person or the character of Nagata Kabi as that character exists, she has not yet become that character or that character has not yet become her or uh, she gets at that idea of I have not yet become the person that I am trying to become or I have not yet become the person that I even I, that I'm depicting on the page. Like, and so um, there's that real, like, unlike maybe some other, some other autobiographic cartoonists who um, Rob and I have kind of used this construct to talk about autobiographic work, um, uh, the idea of opened, being opened or closed. Um, I think the fact that Kabi admits that this character I'm constructing, you know, really directly admits this character I'm constructing, I am having trouble, you know, 
connecting with the world through this character, even though people find this material so intensely, uh, um, uh, intensely important or uh, related to their own their own lives. The fact that I, the fact that I can't handle that is is really damaging to my self image. Like that's to me, that's about as open as you can get. Like she is, she is, you know, cracking this thing open like a, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if this, if this series was, a, it, this series is like an open heart surgery. Like you are, she is cracking open her chest for you. She is letting you see all of it, and it is yeah, kind of, right and it is kind of gross at times. It is really hard yeah. to take. I, you know, yeah. I, well, I mean, open heart surgery is gross. I was trying to make a metaphor there, but you know, <laughs> um, but the idea is, is that the you know, this is this series is one of the most difficult pieces of fic, well, auto fiction or autobiography. You know, all all autobiography is fiction, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the most difficult um, piece of writing in long form that I've had to read in years, right? Yeah. Um, Especially in the context, you know, for yeah. us. Yeah, in the context of a global pandemic that you know, five hundred thousand people dead in the United States alone. Uh, everybody's yeah, still yeah. worshiping at the foot of the dollar, you know, yeah. thanks you know, guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Good choice. Know, but, but, but also reading like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, not, <laughs> not, not for nothing, but reading this, um, you know, set of stories that revolve a lot around isolation, um, during a period of very intense isolation is quite a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely true. You know, that I think one of the things we've talked about in this, um, both on Solrad and in this series of, of podcasts is the context in which art takes, you know, in, in whatever stage of life that you're in, right? We had this yeah. conversation in uh, when we talked about um, Dancing with 10, I believe, Dancing After 10, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I initially read these books when they came out in 2018 and 2019, a much different part of my life than now. Now, mm-hmm. coming back to these works and rereading them for this podcast, uh, I, I, uh, wow, I, it was very difficult, very, yeah. very difficult to make it through this work. And I wonder, yeah. had these been published this year, would they have been so acclaimed? Right. You know, just the they these really reached into something systemic two years ago. Right. Three years ago. And mm-hmm. now that's maybe so maybe it's so on point now that it's like a turnoff. Right? You know, it's like it's so it's so yeah, close to the vest, you know, on, on the nose. Yeah. 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 I, I seriously struggled reading this. I really felt oppressed reading this uh it, it was so overwhelmingly filled with despair and here i am trying to struggle through my day to day i i found it um i mean i i jokingly have been referring to this as misery porn but in a way that's true i mean the the, the only thing that i could come out of this with is just well okay, maybe my life's not as bad as this. 
And and how is that a redeeming arc for the, the author? And how is that any sort of pleasurable experience for me as a reader? Mm. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, that's that's a great question. I think I'm going to try to uh, answer it in as, as horrible a way possible. So so <laughs> stick with me because I'm, I'm, I'm not in, an intelligent person. Um, but what, what I... <laughs> uh you know a little self-depreciation it's it's, you know for the audience um (laughs) you know so what here's what i think generally speaking about art is that art is at its most um meaningful or most profound or most universal when it connects people to each other right when um i was i was i was told i was i was asked um I was invited this week to apply to be a judge for the Prism Awards, um, which is, a, you know, and so uh, I was on the on a panel that got disbanded last year. Long story, but um, they, but one of the questions is, what does excellence in comics art mean to you? And I said that's a really difficult question to answer, but my answer is that if art can make you understand that we are all connected or that you are not alone Mm -hmm. then then that is then that is its greatest strength right you know um and we could talk about my faith but we're not going to do that because you know we'll be here all night um (laughs) but i think um i think kind of paradoxically my solo exchange diary, because it's so isolated, because it's so intensely bleak at times, it does resonate because when I read this book, I see me in this book. You know, I have been in these places. I have done this stuff to myself, right? So to know that I am not alone even in the midst of despair, I think that there is something inherently comforting in that, even though in the moment now reading through it, it's very difficult. I don't know if that answers your question, but. And since despair has just wildly uh, increased its reach across the last couple of years you know this book has a a completely different flavor i think for the bulk of its readers well my concern was that it was exacerbating though it was i mean yeah yeah, i I mean I, i came into this going oh what is this and reading it i just found myself spiraling further and further down and Certainly, I understand the the need for connection and the, the the universality of it, but to what end is making myself connect to somebody spiraling? How is that helping me in any way? Well, I, I think it depends a lot on on your personal position when you start this book. Like, if you are a person who is. Uh, spiraling at the moment or you know engaged in some facet of her experience currently uh i I think it could be more helpful than not if you're someone who has experienced those things previously and and is you know sort of navigating some of those feelings given the current set of circumstances and 
you know, reading this book, um, maybe, maybe it's a different experience, but I, I unhelpfully, I, I can acknowledge that I, I can see this being helpful for a certain set of people and, and also unhelpful um, for a, a, a different set of people. What I thought about, interesting about it was that it is unlike a lot of memoir that I've read and that it is as close to being an immediate record of what's going on, like a Daily Diary comic, as most anything I've read while taking on, like, much deeper issues. Like, Cobby, you know, the classic four-panel American diary comic um, that James Kolchaka pioneered um has an often a tendency towards um mediocre mundanity mundanity like, is a great word yeah mundanity today i put peanut butter on my toast tomorrow i might i might do butter i'll say flatly <laughs> I, i've never liked american elf ever <laughs> I thought it was oh. mediocre. Oh, that's um, controversial, Rob. Oh my goodness. And <laughs> I mean, but that said, I understand why it was popular and why it was influential. Um, because Kolchaka basically gave everyone in the world permission to like, you know, as structurally it's brilliant. Boil down your day to four panels. Um make that fourth panel and there's going to be a beat and people are going to expect something in that fourth panel is the final beat. doesn't have to be funny, but it has to be something. It has to be snappy. It doesn't have yeah. to be funny, but it has to, it has to click. And he was, and he is, was really, really good at that. Um, and his drawing style made it so that it was kind of easy for him to keep up with this. And I've read a lot of diary comics um, that use this formula I have taken it in a much more interesting direction than Kolchaka. Um, and I've also read, you know, so many that haven't. Um, like what authors are you thinking about when you think about, like people that come to mind would be like Kevin, Kevin Budnick, like who. Just that yeah. Yeah. Reclaw is another great example. Mm-hmm. And interesting, um, interesting to note that uh, that Kabi also uses a four-panel grid, except for it's a, it's 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 not it's not a grid. It's a it's it, it's a two by one kind of down the page. But she is constitutionally, fundamentally unable to focus on the mundane, no matter how hard she tries. She immediately uh, goes to totally open memoir style and just kind of like spills all of these feelings on the page um and the number of memoirs who do that is has have been rare over the years the most prominent example is um ariel shrag when she was doing her high school memoirs mm-hmm. um, those were pretty immediate and um the and the, her first three books, as a result, are, have a lot of interesting energy. And her fourth book, which was the most ambitious, is also the worst, in my opinion, because the pretensions of the young author in that book outweigh, um, her, A, her ability to actually execute them, 
Um, and B, it strangles the life out of what made the first three books interesting in the first place. Um, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about Cobby's work is that um, her art style in particular, I wrote about this and I said she wields the pen like a hammer. <laughs> Farming like subtlety in her line and her writing. It's loose and expressive. And one of the things I love best about is that there's frequent funny visual diversions like uh, like Will Elder-style chicken fat, little jokes in the margins. And I'm not saying that these are crude. I'm saying you know, there's actually a lot of detail in her strips. And her character design is great. Um, but that there's just this feeling of urgency on page after page that she's desperately trying to record her thoughts as fast as possible for fear of them getting away. And it's most ironic because, especially in the second book, a lot of the pages she wrote are about, I can't get out of bed. I didn't get out of bed. <laughs> mm. um, but it does, it does feel very immediate. You're right. Like the way I think, I think this is a good enough time to talk about the way that she uses color and the way that she uses line, which is so, you know, very simplistic, very spare, very spare on its surface. But when you look at it, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. These very simple character designs kind of belay a, a very uh, immersive um, and kind of overwhelming cartooning style. The, you know, one of the things I think maybe perhaps, Daniel, the reason why you this this comic is so affecting is because it just sucks you in. You're reading and all of a sudden you're just like in it. You're like right there. And it's like the the scratchiness of the line, the the like the illustrations where she's there's a knife hanging out of her back and then like the the black ink is bubbling out of her like blood. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is a, this is a, like this is so sketchy and so goofy looking and also, oh my God, what is happening to me? Like why why do I feel so horrible when I'm reading this? Like, you know, so I think there's some she is managed to capture something really unique in the way that she creates the image that delivers these really um, these really emotive and open memoir ideas. Another piece to that though, is that, that uh, I, I, I want to come back to this a little bit is that, that in effect, she's capturing the immediacy of the moment, but she's doing so to address a future self. Right? She constantly refers to herself in the future, saying, I hope you get through this. I hope you understand, I, all that sort of stuff. And so that's clouding the narrative to a degree that is just unrelenting as far as uh, my reading of it. It's just this endless cycle of self-deprecation, uh, of spiraling into depression, of, of all these things that just scream out in the immediate moment but are still addressed to this future self so there's this there's this tension between the despair and the hope that i think really just throws it so much into like the fire of it that i think that's why i was so affected by it you, you could say that this comic is is an exercise in whiplash right yeah, like you, it goes from zero yeah. to 60 really quickly and then slams on the brakes and then slams on the gas. And you're like and you are literally getting thrown around as long as you're willing to hang. 
stay in the car and not, you not tuck and roll out the door, you know, and throw <laughs> this book out the window. You are, you are, you know, you are in for a ride. And I think that is, it's so fascinating because there are, I cannot think of other autobio comics that have affected me like my soul exchange diary. Like there, I can think of a few, but not to the degree and not to the extremes that this, that these books are able to dig into my brain in the way that other books are not able to. And I wonder, you know, Daniel, you brought up this idea of like, is this helpful to me? You know, yeah. and, and I think, you know, I would gently push back on that and say, does art need to be helpful? Um, mm. Noting, of course, that we should we are going to put a content warning on this episode because we're talking about ideas of self harm and and uh, you know yes. of depression and Good. anxiety. Um, but you know, th- I think its helpfulness to the reader is kind of secondary as a secondary concern. The idea well, of it being this like kind of like brutal mindscape is enough like it doesn't have to be helpful well but you were talking earlier about that that idea that art needs to express the connectivity between us and so that that aesthetic reaction that i have is is the reaction that oh shit that could be me right Mm. and so so if that could be me and it is unrelenting in its despair then I have to internalize that. And by internalizing that, that just exacerbates all the issues that I'm going through, especially during a pandemic where I'm in isolation and I'm having all this fear and anxiety to begin with. Yeah, I think you're you're not, you definitely have this, that point, you know, that, that, that this book to us or the series could really exacerbate mental health concerns for a large variety of readers. And so I don't think we can, we can come out of this this um, discussion of these books without very clearly warning the reader um, to you know read at your own risk you know because they are um, to a Upsetting. certain degree brutal yeah, brutal exactly Jules you were gonna say something I'm sorry not, not, not just brutal but like surgical yeah. So, I, I, I understand. I think I understand exactly what you're saying when you say surgical, but could you explain what you mean? I think that might help lead to another great point. Sure. I mean, um, just defining in, in explicit detail every aspect of a, a fall into mental illness you know like uh, she's just it's very explicit you know like anybody who who feels the way she feels is gonna like feel her descent very personally yeah 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 it's not a it's not a hammer to the head it's a dissection yeah yeah a hammer to the head would be uh comparatively uh pleasant experience yeah 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 Yeah. and and i feel that i mean the ending of volume two it it, after all of this that we've gone through in these two books now for her to say oh well maybe i'll just connect more with everybody else and that'll make me feel better right 
that really, I just, I literally threw the book across the room <laughs> when I got to that point, because I just went, what? I went through that for this? Well, no, and- I, I, I think at that point, it, um, like, uh, n- narrative, uh, fallibility becomes clear. Like, you know, at, at a point we stopped trusting her because, yeah. you know, like, Going back to the thing I was harping on earlier where, you know, she was presenting the endings of her books as though they were hopeful when when they never were. Um, Three times in, we have to stop trusting the narrator, right? Uh, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. The narrative is not the experience. The narrative is something that has to be shaped and edited. The editing can be done by the author, and as is most editing, but the editing is also done by, well, the editor and the publisher, and they no doubt had input on how the story was told. Right, so, so we have to come to terms with the fact that the, edit, the, the narrative is not the narrator. Right, and, and, to, and to be very mm. clear... Um, the editing process in in Japanese comics is much more direct than I think the editing process of comics in the United States. What do you you mean by that? So rather than, so oftentimes with series in, in manga um, cartoonists meet with editors on a weekly or sometimes every other day basis to discuss the direction of the com of the comic how it's going to work um not not just like they submit a pile of manuscript pages and then they get notes but the editor is oftentimes directly involved in the planning and and um trajectory of of a comic this is more true with some of the like um the what i would call like the little kids manga like uh you know like the dragon ball z's of the world you know um your your classic kind of like dr stone would be a good example or shonen um, yeah shonen manga which would be like you know the big the big the big names right now would be naruto or baruto um and uh, my hero academia those would be the two big you know big examples right now Edit, the editorial staff is heavily involved in all decisions made about characters and arcs and things like that. There is a lot of edit, there's a lot of editorial oversight, um, which is not true at all when it comes to autobiographical comics in the United States, because most of those agree. are most of those are published as zines, right? Like it, from my right. experience. Now there clearly there are you know like books of autobio comics that do get edited right or, or the odd new york or, right right exactly there right. are there and there are editor you know there are there those um stories must be edited or are edited for the book market etc um but i think to to a certain degree japanese manga are edited a little more heavily or directed a little more heavily than than their western counterparts i mean again like i said that depends on the publisher Certain publishers are well known for being very hands-off, like Fanographics and Drawn and Quarterly. But um, first, second, Top Shelf, Scholastic, Macmillan, any of those houses, there is a great deal of editing that goes on 
it, not to mention um, for certain houses, uh, agents have a significant influence on how books are pitched, which is also part of the editing process. And, so, and, and Rob, that shapes the auto bio. Yes. Comic? Yes. I'm actually writing something about it right now for my Patreon. So oh, that, this, this so idea that, that a book has to have a gimmick in order to succeed. Oh, right. um, Correct was my question. Yeah. Like um, when I think about gimmick, uh, uh, Lucy Nisley's Relish comes to mind. Like it's built around a cookbook. Like is that what you're talking about, Rob? Fun Home yeah. is built on a gimmick. Marble yeah. is built on a gimmick. Yeah. This is not supposition. This is something that I have learned. Well, well, so isn't this my solo exchange diary? Isn't this a gimmick to I mean, begin uh, with? What What's the difference between a gimmick and like a, a, a selling point? Sure. Um, if you're writing the straight memoir, the author is writing it from whatever point of view they feel like writing it. A gimmick is something specifically introduced. Um, it, it's like the same thing as high concept and genre, where like say. Um, a high concept is like the equivalent of an elevator pitch where you can like say it in like, you know, two sentences or less. So that someone understands it and it has a certain novelty to it. So like, you know, movie speed, it's die hard on a bus. <laughs> Genre marbles. Um, it's memoir about mental illness and the author ties it directly to historical figures who had bipolar. And if you've read Marbles, you know that Ellen Forney hammers that particular point again and again. Fun Home. This is your memoir about your dad, and you're going to fuse it with um, literary techniques and Proust in particular. Um, that was a directive. Um, there are many more. Which aspect of Fun Home was the gimmick? It was the Proustian literary pretension of of Fun Home, um, which, in my opinion, Bechdel was entirely unsuited to execute in a way that um, felt organic or made sense. Mm. Um, and I say this as someone who was an enormous fan of her previous work. Um, she was she was directed to do that um and the thing about it is that the agents were not wrong um, i mean it's sold i <laughs> the, the, the thing i'm thinking right i'm thinking i'm thinking two things the first is wow rob is not holding back tonight rob is <laughs> rob, rob is rob is rob is, rob is on a rampage yeah. Rob is kicking ass and chewing bubble gum. And uh, the second thing is like, what, you know, to a certain degree, those, those gimmicks do sell books, right? Like, so right. I, you know, and I don't, I don't think that my solo exchange diary though is built on a gimmick. The, I think that the, I think honestly, the uh, wait, idea Alex, of the diary. Alex, this, yeah. 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 Yeah, Hold I'm on, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Yeah, I think, that is the gimmick. But yeah. I don't actually think it's a gimmick in the sense that that is how she's selling the book. I think that 
the different, you know, I, I would, I would categorize a gimmick as a thing that you use to sell the book or like to structure a narrative around so that the book can be sold. I think that the my solo exchange, the exchange diary aspect of this comic trying to like get back to this is, is the, it seems like to me, maybe the only way she could actually write these comics, right? There does seem like inherent in these, in these, in this work is this understanding that the creator is really struggling mentally to even put pen to paper. Right. Yes. And so there is, so perhaps a letter to my future self is the only way that she can actually make this happen in a, and, like in a physical, tangible way. And in that case, I wouldn't say it's a gimmick. I would say it's a gimmick to help her get on the page, but I don't think it's like a, it's an, it's a, um, it's a, a choice made to sell books. It wasn't, well, it wasn't we, something imposed we talk about the... externally. Right. Yeah. And what she didn't, she didn't, someone didn't choose this for her. Right. Can, can we talk about the difference between like a, a, a gimmick, so to speak, and a, a selling point? Well, I, again, a gimmick is like, is a high concept. When you have a high concept, you can boil it down very simply and easily so that anyone can understand it. And furthermore, when you have that particular concept, um, you can market it to specific kinds of audiences. Right. And so um, Ellen Forney went beyond simply doing memoirs about herself. And her entire thing now is like um, talking very specifically and actually less personally about bipolar than before. Um, Marbles and um, its follow-up uh, are as closed as autobiography gets in a lot of ways. And that is, and it is deliberate um, because it's, it's more important at this point, at, at this point for her to like, kind of be this kind of bipolar spokesperson than to um, tell a memoir in a more relatable way, in a more universal way. And again, I'm like, I'm saying this and this sounds very negative, but um, this is what, this is a direction she's clearly embraced. And um, it's brought her a lot of success. It's brought her um, touring. You know, she's a central figure in graphic medicine now. So I'm like, I'm never going to deny anyone their success ever. Um, but what I'm kind of pointing out when I'm, some this thing I'm running about is like, be aware that memoir is not some sacred thing. Memoir is a genre like anything else. And if you're going to write it and if you're going to have an agent and you're going to look to like make money, you have to be aware of what you may have to do in order to do it. And in the case of copy, I, I agree that I don't think um, this was an externally opposed gimmick. It was in fact, it's uh it's her daily carrot of like what is compelling me to write my future self is compelling me to write mm -hmm. and for someone who um Sick. has suicidal ideations the concept of a future self is extremely powerful of like well if i get it through if i get through today i'm that much closer to this other future self and that's kind of this self-perpetuating process or even her darkest moments when she's hurting herself during those periods she's not able to write but 
given if just like a few months time of recovery, she's able to get back to it and not just get back to it, but like get in the weeds all the way in a really open way um, while talking about her hopes and talking in particular about, um, you know, she has, she conflates mental illness with her self-centeredness. Um, and to a degree, she is self-centered. To a degree, she can and does only think about herself, and doesn't think about her family, and lives in this constant state of fear, and has trouble making and keeping friends. Um, and my argument is that it's not because she's a bad person. Um, it's just that because she has so much unprocessed trauma, um, especially with regard to her personal identity, that she was incapable of reaching out her immediate self for so much of the narrative and that changes a little in the second book towards the end where she actually starts to accept the fact that her family actually loves her and kind of accepts her hmm. um and you know and her family basically you know you build up a narrative about someone else and when they their actions prove your narrative about them is wrong that's uh that's life-changing she had a narrative about her parents that they were going to like completely reject her and hate her for everything. But all they did was like try and take care of her and show her love as best they could. Um, you know, even when she sank to her lowest level. Um, so uh, in that way, there is progress made. Um, where you can see her start to heal a little bit, but she still hasn't quite managed to piece together how her mental illness um, both created and perpetuated her sense of isolation. Hmm. So I wanted to, we're, we're, it's, it's sad to say we're already running up on our time. I wanted to, I wanted to patch it over to Jules because I wanted you, you've had a, um, uh, a lot to say or a lot of great thoughts about this comic. And I wanted to know kind of what are your, what, what are your takeaways or what do you, what do you think you leave this book with or the series with? And are you going to buy the fourth book? The, uh, I think it's coming out this April, my alcoholic, Oh goodness. Why? My alcoholic, like uh, my alcoholic escape from reality. Escape comes from reality. Out. That's it. <laughs> yes, my alcoholic escape from reality. Uh, book number four in this series comes out April sixth, twenty twenty one, from Seven Seas Press. Get your copy uh, today. I mean, yeah, I, I have a pre order. <laughs> uh, so Jules is is going to pre order this book, and I'm I am sure. going to pre order the book. And I'm not even I'm sure that it. I'm going to buy the book. So tell you know what what do you think? Um, drives you i mean i i can certainly i can certainly agree that these these books are powerful and i found them very um uh you know very uh affecting i will say they're that. very raw yeah, yeah. I, I i mean they're very intense like you, you're really inhabiting someone else when you read these books like there there's no holds barred here um why keep going back to it what's your yeah, what's the 
what's, what's the, the appeal? appeal Jules? oh i don't know like uh the it, the the self-flagellation of it like the, the parts of yourself that you recognize um within these experiences like i i, I do feel like um Hey, I, I do recognize the validity of Elkin's um, assessment saying that, you know, for, for people who aren't quite there but sort of recognize facets of it, there there is an element of um, exacerbation happening. But um, honest to God, like I've been there. Like I, I, I feel the things she's feeling personally. I, I do. And... I'm, uh, do I want to say on the podcast that I'm addicted to this? Like, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> I, 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 I want to know what happens. I, I want to know what she's going to go through. I, yeah. I, I, I've seen this like up and down and up and down trajectory and I'm assigning it to like, you know, personal and like a personal, like, 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 um, my own up and down trajectories the ones i've seen with people i care about i want to see what happens to her like i i have a very personal investment here i want to know how she's doing like honestly like you people who aren't gonna buy this book i I feel a little concerned about you how how would you not want to know what's happening to her (laughs) i mean i think you know there's a there is a to a certain degree there there is that like construction where you want to know that she's going to get better because that means you can get better right like that i can you know i say that that or that my friend can get better right or the, the people that you love and care about who suffer with these issues can can heal can get better can right this is a very communal book yeah like she she's bearing her soul and it, it helps me understand what, and you know, other people I know who are going through similar things might be feeling. Um, it, it helps me come to terms with, you know, slightly similar experiences that I'm having, um, how, how I maybe should be feeling. Or, you know, uh, if I'm judging her. Um, how how that might apply to how I'm regarding my own situation or how I'm regarding a close friend situation, you know, like like how how do you talk about someone who who is bearing their soul like this? Like it, you're it, you're taking them on as a member of your community. She's a member of my community at this mm-hmm. point. Um, I admire you just you just convinced me to buy the next book. God. <laughs> Well, you got a copy. Please pay me a premium, and I accept. You get Jules gets that twenty cents from from Daniel's purchase. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. But isn't it? But isn't it remarkable that we kind of came back around to the same point, right? This idea that that work like this, by its very nature, must connect people to each other, right? And so, right. Daniel, you speak of you speak of the suffering of that, but connection can only come through two things right great love and great suffering right and or so both. or both or both. both great love and great suffering are the keys 
to connection, to understanding that there is a universality to the world, that there is a collective humanity. Um, and Nagata Kabi does both excellently in this book. And that is my, my two cents. And yeah, Jules, you're, you're right. I have to, I have to buy my alcoholic escape from reality. I, th- you know, yeah. you're right. You're right. Oh, it, maybe we can you are, you're right. You get maybe. the 40 cents. You get 40 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Nagata Kabi, write this down. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Jules. I mean, if you've connected in any way, and I've connected in terms of my own concerns about my own mental health, that I absolutely, you're right. If if I'm an empathetic human being, I have to know how she progresses. And so, yeah, well done. And let me offer a counter argument. Oh, thank God. Oh, oh, my God. I love it. I love it. All right. right. Hit hit me. Oh, Rob. Well, one thing I admire about the book is because it is, like I said, it's as open as open gets. And even at the conclusions of the first and second books, where there's that slightly disingenuous, oh, maybe I'll find love someday that feels very tacked on, that's like, point you know one percent of the book the rest is just bam and you get and you as you're reading it you kind of feel like if shit starts to happen she's not going to lie to you about it if she has some kind of like big um you know she's made an advance things are a little bit better things get shitty again she's going to tell you it's like yeah, I'm doing all this shitty stuff again. I'm hey, I'm back in the hospital again. You know, um, there's a line that is up to each reader and each person when um, embarking on a personal relationship. And there's a sense in which, if you're a reader of this book, you're having a relationship with this author, where it's like. Um, I respect their feelings. I respect what's going on. Um, but I need to put up a boundary between me and this work because it is having a negative impact on my own sanity in a way that is similar to having, if you have a friend who um, you may love and admire, but their behavior, their addictions, their personality disorders, um, in your life, you've found to be a destructive influence on you and deleterious to your own personal health. What is that line? It is up to each individual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily true for me with Kabi because, um, shit, I read way worse than that. Um, and, uh, I'd be curious to read it. But I can I can, I totally understand the reasons why someone wouldn't want to. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think really that's good. that's very fair, and I think that is a that's such a an important piece when you step into you know I I hope if you know if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you're trying to figure out should I read these books or not I hope that the one thing you come away with from from this part of the discussion is that it is going this book is going to take you places you may not want to go. And you have to be willing to walk down that path if you're going to if you're going to start and continue reading this series. I think for me, 
I think the experience is genuine, genuinely a net positive, but I, you know, I do understand that there is that suffering there. I mean, one of the things we tie just to, just to dig into it a little bit, you know, in the second book, she's drinking a lot of alcohol, you know, she's, she becomes, she, I wouldn't, I don't know that she necessarily becomes an alcoholic, but she's drinking a lot of liquor to kind of get over her anxiety. Right. And the, and in the, like in the intro text for the next book, she admits that she had fatty liver disease and pancreatitis from alcohol use. So, you know, that she said, I gave up alcohol. I wasn't doing well. I, I quit drinking. I don't need to drink anymore. And now we're, you know, with this next book, she's, she's in the hospital. She's admitted for acute pancreatitis, something that happens when you drink too much. So, so it's clear yet again, that there is an up and down to the story and it will to, for a certain set of readers cause pretty intense feelings of, of trauma or could be potentially triggering of mental, um, mental illness. And so we have to be, you know, you have to be very cautious if you feel like this is going to be a work that affects you negatively, that you should, you should know that before going in. Yeah, how much toxicity can you take in? Right. <laughs> how bad does it have to be? I wouldn't even I, necessarily I, say it's toxic. I would just say, because it is, it's not, um, Hmm. I just feel like it's, it is, she's, she's riding the roller coaster and she's inviting you to sit, you know, strap in and sit with her in the ups and downs. Right. But if you're going to, you know, if it's going to make you sick, then you shouldn't get on the roller coaster to begin with. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I deal with this as a teacher all the time. I, I, I hear these stories from my students and at some point I can only take so much on. Mm -hmm. Right before it really starts to damage me. And when it starts to damage me, then I'm no help to anyone. So where's the line? Yeah. And I think that's what Rob was sort of saying. Right? Yeah, I it's think like every... the airplane thing where they, they tell you to put someone else's mask on before yours, right? Right, right. Yeah. And there is, there is certainly, um, I think that's a line that each individual has to where that demarcating line, you have to make that choice for yourself. There's, there's no one, there's no one that can do that for you, but you. Um, yeah, but, but, but I think Jules's point is really important also. Yeah. That as empathetic individuals, if we're in there, there is a, there's a level of commitment also. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I, a hard balance. It's a hard yeah, balance. Well, living in community is hard, right? No one yeah. said it, you know, I think one of the things, this is my final point is that in the United States, we try so hard to live as individuals. We try so hard to pretend that our neighbors, our family members, our communities are non-existent, that the only thing that matters is me and the final buck, right? Like that is, that is the, that is the world that we have tried to build for ourselves and look what it has done to our society. It has bitten us fully in the ass. Right, right. (laughs) Look at our planet, look at where we, you know, so if there if art can be a window to understanding the communal even if it's painful you know even if it comes with great suffering then that is i think a price i'm willing to pay but mm-hmm. 
I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that every person needs to pay, you know, <laughs> um, because you do have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balance. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the fact that this piece of art demands this from us is one of the things that I like about it most and its immediacy. And especially when you compare it to, um, the piece that was published at the end of the second diary, uh, right. Chicky Tom's depression. And during the, during the course of the diary, she talks about how she hated it. Um, the thumbnails are better than the finished product. And the thing about it is that she's a hundred percent right. That's that story is terrible. It is. Read. Um, and it speaks to like her knowing the best way for her to express herself uh how to how she so clearly evaluates her own art um and respects the reader in that way and um and again like you said it's the fact that we have this kind of discussion the fact that we have this kind of reaction speaks to the power of the piece mm. um and uh, that is ultimately to um, its greater benefit because she could have got that, that last piece reveals she could have gone another way in the way that she expressed herself. Yeah. She could yeah. have gone a way that was like, maybe some people have said more marketable, more realistic or whatever. Um, her trusting her storytelling instincts um, and putting herself out there in that particular way and not even making it fictional. Um, you know, again, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed a lot of these books, although there's a lot of funny stuff in there, which you don't really didn't talk about much, but there are a lot of jokes and they're pretty funny. And a lot of the drawings are really funny. Um, but enjoying or not is beside the point. Um, it, it certainly made me feel something and I'm grateful yeah. for that experience. They're not supposed to be enjoyable. Yeah, I, I, I feel that, that that's about as great a place as we can we can end on. So thank you very much again for listening to another episode of Enemies of the State, a, a monthly book club podcast featuring a rotating cast of comics critics. As always, I've been Alex Hoffman, the publisher of Soul Rad. I'm Jules Spakes, a freelance critic. I'm Rob Clow, contributing editor of Soul Rad. I'm Daniel Elkin, Editor-in-Chief of SoulRad. If you like this show, you can like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, etc., etc. Um, if you become a patron of SoulRad at www.patreon.com backslash SoulRad, you'll get an opportunity to vote for the next episode what we cover what book we cover for the next episode of enemies of the state so please if you uh, like the show or like soul rad as a as a magazine please feel free to head on over to patreon.com backslash soul rad s-o-l-r-a-d and sign up for one of our mini tiers we will love you forever until next time it's been great talking with all of you take care